Chapter Six of Gold in the Sky by Alan E. Norse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Last Run of the Scavenger. To Greg Hunter, the siege of the orbit ship had been a nerve-wracking game of listening and waiting for something to happen. In the darkness of the control cabin, he stretched his fingers, cramped from gripping the heavy Markheim stunner, and checked the corridor outside again. There was no sound in the darkness there no sign of movement somewhere far below he heard metal banging on metal minutes before he thought he had heard the sharp ripping sound of a stunner blast overhead but he wasn't sure whenever the fighting was going on it was not here he shook his head as his uneasiness mounted why hadn't johnny come back he'd gone off to try and disable the ranger ship leaving greg to guard the control cabin why no sign of the marauders in the control cabin corridor? This should have been the first place they would head for, if they planned to take the ship, but there had been nothing but silence and darkness. Johnny had been gone near fifteen minutes already. Greg became more uneasy. He waited. Suddenly, bitterly he realized the hopelessness of it. Even if Johnny did manage to damage the ranger ship, what difference would it make? They had been fools to come out here, idiots to ignore Towney's warning, the three of them. Towney had told them in so many words that there would be trouble, and they had come out anyway, just begging for it. Well, now they had what they'd begged for. Greg slammed his fist into his palm angrily. What had they expected? That the big company would step humbly aside for them with a fortune hanging in the balance if they had even begun to think it through before they had started. But they hadn't, and now it was too late. They were under attack. Johnny was off on a fool's errand, gone too long for comfort, and Tom, Greg glanced at his watch, it had been ten minutes since Tom's call. What had he meant by it? A plan, he said. A long chance. He couldn't shake off the cold feeling in his chest when he thought about Tom. What if something happened to him? Greg remembered how he had grown to resent his brother. The time when they were very young and Tom had been struck by the sickness. A native Martian virus, they called it. He remembered the endless nights of attention given to Tom alone. From then on, somehow they weren't friends anymore. But now all that seemed to disappear, and Greg only wished that Tom would appear down the corridor. A sound startled him. He tensed, gripping the stunner, peering into the darkness. Had he heard something? Or was it his own foot scraping on the deck plate? He held his breath, listening, and the sound came again, louder. Someone was moving stealthily up the corridor. Greg waited, covered by the edge of the hatchway. It might be Johnny returning, or maybe even Tom but there was no sign of recognition. Whoever it was was coming silently. Then a beam of light flamed from a headlamp, and he saw the blue crackle of a stunner. He jerked back as the beam bounced off the metal walls. Then he was firing point-blank down the corridor, his stunner on a tight beam, a deadly pencil of violent energy. He heard a muffled scream and a bulk loomed up in front of him, crashed to the deck at his feet. He fired again. Another crash, a shout, 
and then the sound of footsteps retreating. He waited, his heart pounding, but there was nothing more. The first attempt on the control cabin had failed. Five minutes later, the second attempt began. This time there was no warning sound. A sudden, ear-splitting crash, the groan of tortured metal, and the barricaded hatchway glowed dull red. Another crash followed. The edge of the hatch split open, pouring acrid meroxide fumes into the cabin. A third explosion breached the door six inches. Greg could see headlamps in the corridor beyond. He fired through the crack, pressing down the stud until the stunner scorched his hand. Then he heard boots clanging up the corridor. He pressed back against the wall, waited until the sounds were near, then drew open the hatch. For an instant he made a perfect target, but the raiders did not fire. The stunner buzzed in his hands, and once again the footfalls retreated. They were being careful. Silence then, and blackness. Minutes passed. Five. Ten. Greg checked the time again. It was over twenty minutes since Tom had talked to him. What had happened? Whatever Tom had planned must have misfired, or something would have happened by now. For a moment he considered leaving his post and starting down the dark corridor to search. But where to search? There was nothing to do but wait and hope for a miracle. Then suddenly the lights blazed on in the control cabin, and the corridor outside. An attention signal buzzed in Greg's earphones. All right, Hunter, it's all over, a voice grated. You've got five minutes to get down to number three lock. If you make us come get you, you'll get hurt. I'll chance it, Greg snapped back. Come on up. We're through fooling, the voice said. You better get down here and bring your brother with you. Sure, Greg said. Start holding your breath. The contact broke for a moment, then clicked on again. This time it was another voice. We've got Johnny Coombs down here, it said. You want him to stay alive, you start moving, without your stunner. Greg chewed his lip. They could be bluffing, but they might not be. I want to see Johnny, he said. On the control panel, a view screen flickered to life. Take a look, then, the voice said in his earphones. They had Johnny all right. A burly guard was holding his good arm behind his back. Greg could see the speaker wires jerked loose from his helmet. It's up to you, the voice said. You've got three minutes. If you're not down here by then, this helmet comes off and your friend goes out the lock. It's a quick way out, but it's not very pleasant. Johnny was shaking his head violently. The guard wrenched his arm, and the miner's face twisted in pain. Two minutes, the voice said. Okay, Greg said. I'm coming down. Drop the stunner right there. He dropped the weapon onto the deck. Three steps out into the corridor, and two guards were there to meet him, stunners raised. They marched him up the ramp to the outer level corridor and around to number three lock. They were waiting there with Johnny. A moment later, the guards herded them through the lock and into the hold of the ranger ship, stripped off their suits, and searched them. A big man with a heavy face and coarse black hair came into the cabin. He looked at Johnny and Greg and grunted. 
"'You must be Hunter,' he said to Greg. "'Where's the other one?' "'The other me?' Greg said. "'Your brother. Where is he?' "'How would I know?' Greg said. The man's face darkened. "'You'd be smart to watch your tongue,' he said. "'We know there were three of you. We want the other one.' The man turned to a guard. "'What about it?' "'Don't know, Doc. Nobody's reported him.' then take a crew and search the ship. We were due back hours ago. He's in there somewhere. Sure, Doc. The guard disappeared through the lock. The man called Doc motioned Greg and Johnny through into the main cabin. What are you planning to do with us? Greg demanded. You'll find out soon enough. Doc's mouth twisted angrily. A guard burst into the cabin. Doc, there's just nobody there. We've scoured the ship. You think he just floated away in a spacesuit? Doc growled. Find him. Towney only needs one of them, but he can't take the chance on the other one getting back. He broke off, his eyes on the view screen. Did you check those scout ships? No, I thought. Get down there and check them. Doc turned back to the view screen impatiently. Greg caught Johnny's eye saw the big miner's worried frown. "'Where is he?' he whispered. "'I don't know. I thought you did. All I know is that he had some kind of scheme in mind.' "'Shut up,' Doc said to them. "'If you're smart, you'll be strapping down before we—' He broke off in mid-sentence, listening. Quite suddenly, the ranger ship had begun to vibrate. Somewhere, far away, there was the muffled rumble of engines— Doc whirled to the view screen. Greg and Johnny looked at the same instant, and Johnny groaned. Below them, the scavenger's jets were flaring. First the pale starter flame, then a long stream of fire, growing longer as the engines developed thrust. Doc slammed down a switch and roared into the speaker. That scout ship! Stop it! He's trying to make a break! Two guards appeared at the lock almost instantly, but it was too late. Already she was straining at her magnetic cable moorings. Then the exhaust flared, and the little scout ship leaped away from the orbit ship, moving out at a tangent to the asteroid's orbit, picking up speed moving faster and faster, in toward the orbit of Mars. The man called Doc had gone pale. Now he snapped on the speaker again. Frank, stand by on missile control. He's asking for it. Right, the voice came back. I'm sighting in. The scavenger was moving fast now, dwindling in the view screen. One panel of the screen went telescopic to track her. All right, Doc said. Fire one and two. From both sides of the ranger, tiny rockets flared. Like twin bullets, the homing shells moved out, side by side, in the track of the escaping scavenger. With a strangled cry, Greg leaped forward, but Johnny caught his arm. Johnny! Tom's on that thing! I know, but he's got a chance. Already the homing shells were out of sight. Only the twin flames were visible. Greg stared helplessly at the tiny light spot of the scavenger. At first she had been moving straight, but now she was dodging and twisting, her side jets flaring at irregular intervals. The twin pursuit shells mimicked each change in course, 
drawing closer to her every second. And then there was a flash, so brilliant it nearly blinded them, and the scavenger burst apart in space. The second shell struck a fragment. There was another flash, and there was nothing but a nebulous powdering of tiny metal fragments. The last run of the scavenger had ended. Dazed, Greg turned away from the screen, and somewhere, as if in a dream, he heard Doc saying, All right, boys, strap this pair down. We got a lot of work to do before we can get out of here. End of chapter 6